You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Every single weekend, as you tune into different football games, you get ready to yell, you get ready to scream, and you get ready, ready to decide why your team isn't getting enough credit. This weekend, for the first time all fall, we have reached the ultimate prove-it weekend for the NFL and for college football. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. You can hit me up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter line at Jason Fitz. You can also call in 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. You can call us at ESPN Nation. presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Sarah Spain doing great stuff with the ESPNW Summit and as I looked at the calendar through this weekend and I thought about the different games that were out there, what really hit me is that this isn't just a game, a weekend full of games for the teams. This is the ultimate weekend full of games for you. Because realistically, what we want to do is yell. And I, I don't care if you're an NFL fan or you're a college football fan. You come into the weekend ready to yell. Not just yelling in support or yelling at the other fan base, but yelling at everybody about the lack of respect your favorite team is getting. I'm talking to you, Titans fans, constantly coming in and saying, nobody's giving us any respect. I'm talking to you, Bucks fans, that are sitting around saying, we have Brady, we're going to be just fine. I'm talking to you, Tennessee and Georgia fans that spent the week worked up over who's actually number one in the country. See, at some point, no matter how worked up you get, the games take care of themselves. That's the thing we forget. If you really want your favorite team to get a bunch of credit, the easy way for them to do that is to have them win a bunch of games. If you really want the college football playoff committee to give your favorite college team a bunch of credit, just need them to win the games. Ultimately, when you start looking at this weekend, it's the chance for teams to prove they are exactly who we thought they were. Think about what we're going to see. Look at the NFL's calendar for a second. Chargers, Falcons. Man, could the Falcons actually win their division? Are the Chargers so broken from a health standpoint that everything's falling apart? Will the Chargers ever get out of their, their own way? It's a prove-it game. You got Indianapolis taking on uh, the Patriots. Are the Patriots actually any good? Have the Colts figured anything out? Do they need to fire their head coach? Ultimate prove-it game. Vikings versus Commanders. How many games in a row? Washington going to win before we take them seriously. In the meantime, we're over here just absolutely like, we don't care what the Vikings do. It doesn't matter because all anybody will say is Kirk Cousins, right? No matter what, the Vikings could go in and they could win repeatedly and we'll just say, well, Kirk Cousins. Prove-it game. Look, I'd love to stretch this to include my beloved Raiders. I would. I'd love to say they have anything to prove, but they do. It's an ultimate weekend for either the Raiders or the Jags to prove how much they suck. Either way, (laughs) that hurts. It's too soon, guys. It's too soon. Either way, prove a game. Seattle, Arizona. What is that? Are the Seahawks actually out here trying to win the West? I think they are. I heard Bart Scott earlier today say he thinks they're they're a playoff team. Look, they are. Look at the way they're running the ball. Look at Kenneth Walker III. Look, Kenneth Walker III is doing the exact same thing for the Seahawks that he did for Michigan State. He's saving their butts constantly. Yeah, I mean, while the Cardinals are sitting here trying to say, we want to prove what 
geniuses Cliff Kingsbury and the coaching staff can be. We want to prove that we invested in the right quarterback. Titans, Chiefs. Man, like I said, Titans fans, I started this by talking about it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz sitting in. Titans, Chiefs, you guys telling me all the time, well, the Titans don't get any love. Go beat the Chiefs. Prove it. You were the number one seed in the playoffs last year. Continue. Prove it. Does it really matter? This is the thing that blows my mind. And maybe it's because my favorite team sucks. I'll be the first to admit this. But maybe at some point we become so consumed over whether or not we're getting enough praise. What are we, like 12-year-old kids looking for a participation trophy? Does it really matter what me or anybody else happens to think about your favorite team this week of the season? Nah. But you can sure prove it. I know one thing. Watching all of our content, getting up, watching Get Up on Monday mornings, it's a hell of a lot more fun when your favorite team wins. Listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max in the mornings, heck of a lot better when your favorite team wins. Look, I, I, it's even a prove-it game for the Rams and the Bucks. I think it's one of the most interesting games of the weekend because the Rams are in a free fall, a free fall and the Bucks, they're not any good. Now, that's what I think. But Herm Edwards, that's right. Herm's back. You play to win the games, Herm. ESPN NFL analyst. He was on Barton Hahn. This is what he said about Brady and the Bucks. If they can't protect him, they're going to be in trouble because, you know, Tom wants to throw it from the pocket. You know, he's 45 years old, and it looks like that at times. But I think he still has a little something left, and I think we're getting ahead of ourselves when you look at that division, right? The leader in the division is 4-4. Four and four. The Bucks, as bad as they've been playing, they're 3-5. and five. And, Bart, you know this. Yeah. And there's nine games left. There's a lot of football left here now. So they need to win a game bad, uh, and their offense needs to get going a little bit. That would really help their defense because their defense right now is struggling in the fact that if you score over 10 points, it seems like we might not win. I mean, I love everything that he just said there because it speaks to two words that i got to remind Herm about. Brand bias. I mean, there's plenty of time left for the Raiders too, right? Stop laughing. There's plenty of time left for the Jags. Don't hurt yourself. Were we going in last night saying plenty of time left for the Texans? I know, I know. The South is worse than we thought they were going to be. But, man, it just doesn't look good. Brady and the Bucks just don't look good. And brand bias, if that doesn't make you think college football, I don't know what does. And you want to talk prove it weekend? Clemson doesn't have a lot left on their schedule. It's the ACC. All right. But they are taking on Notre Dame. Notre Dame's playing better right now. This becomes a really good football game. There's an opportunity for Clemson to prove they belong at number four because, believe me, they heard it all week. They heard what every single one of us said about them being ranked fourth in the initial college football playoff rankings. This is their chance to prove it. I made the joke as we were getting ready for the show that playing Notre Dame is a lot like Jay will playing me in a basketball gym, right? He's going to look at me and be like, cool, if you want to shoot it, go ahead and try, right? If you're Clemson, you walk up to Notre Dame, you're like, Y'all want to throw the ball, we'll let you try. I mean, we might not even defend it. Don't put anybody out on the wide receiver. See if they can still get it done. Clemson has the opportunity to prove it. And you want to talk about prove-it games? On ESPN Radio tomorrow night, Alabama, LSU. Alabama comes into this weekend last in the country in drop passes, last in the SEC. Alabama is worse at dropping passes than Vanderbilt. Think about that for a second. They come into this ranked last in the country in penalty yards. It's an undisciplined team. Now they're taking on a top 10 LSU team that has two losses 
but feels like they have a path and a way to somehow get to the SEC championship game, prove it, game. LSU, if you feel like you're disrespected, you deserve a higher ranking. Alabama, you feel like you've been thrown out of the conversation for an epic loss that wouldn't have happened if you'd been at home. All right, prove it. And man, the game of the year, the game of the millennium, the game of the century, the game of your lifetime, Tennessee taking on Georgia at Georgia, who's really the number one team in the country? Prove it. The toughest thing about this job and what we all do, there's not much that's tough about it, but the toughest thing about it is you're constantly asked to write a book report after every chapter of a book. And you're trying to figure out how the book's going to look when it's all said and done. The one thing I know is while you guys are worried about what the college football playoff committee thinks, you're worried about what people in front of a microphone think, you're worried about the disrespect you get from other fans within your same groups, within your same conferences, within your same divisions. Man, this weekend is all about one thing, and that one thing is proving it. All right, coming up, we got to talk about the most dysfunctional team in sports. I'll tell you this. It took the long time, a long time for the Nets to decide to suspend Kyrie. The question is why and what's it mean moving forward. We'll update you. We'll tell you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz, flying solo. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. we got a lot to get to tonight. I'm Jason Fitz, flying solo. You can chime in, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. That's how you hit us up on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Happy to take everybody's calls. Also, don't forget, we'll get into a little baseball later on. The World Series is on ESPN Radio, presented by AutoZone. Catch all the action this weekend, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app is how you can get to the World Series, presented by AutoZone. Uh, There's... And again, we'll get to that in a little bit. The big news that's not football-related coming out today has to do with Kyrie Irving being suspended by the Brooklyn Nets. By now, I think many of you have heard uh, the fact that he's been given a five-game suspension. Uh, And this comes after the very well-publicized tweet uh, that he put out, social media post, I should say, that he put out uh, that appeared to be, at least in the eyes of some, supporting uh, a content that was not at all appropriate uh, for most and putting the organization in an interesting situation. And I only say interesting because I want to be clear here. Uh, it, there are so many times that we choose to become fans of teams or athletes without knowledge of how people think about certain issues, feel about certain certain issues, you just sort of turn a blind eye or you don't think about it, you don't dig into it, right? So when you take that path, as many of us take, it becomes difficult when suddenly you don't have any choice, right? Kyrie Irving was asked multiple times to, to, to take the opportunity to condemn the contents of the anti-Semitic film that he shared on his social media, and he refused to do so. And as a result, the Nets did virtually nothing for a few days. But now they levy a five-game suspension. I think it's important to think about the context here. First and foremost, I want you to hear from Nets GM Sean Marks asked at the press conference about the next steps for Kyrie. You know, th- there is going to be some remedial steps and measures that have been put in place for him to obviously seek some counseling, you know, designated by the team from, from uh, dealing with some anti-hate and some Jewish leaders. Uh, within our community, you know, he's going to have to sit down with them. He's going to have to sit down with the organization after this, and and uh, we'll evaluate and, uh, and see if this is this is the right opportunity to bring him back. Was there any uh, consideration of waiving 
No, not at this particular time. So the question becomes, why did it take the time that it took for that to do anything? And this is important. A lot of times we make up our minds about what we think when it takes a second for things to happen without any context to the why. There is a great article up on ESPN.com right now written by Ramona Shelburne and Adrian Wojnarowski that goes into deep detail on the decision to suspend Kyrie Irving. This is what Woj had to say, ESPN Senior Insider, on the 6 p.m. Sports Center about what specifically led to the timing of this suspension. A big part of the reason it took until last night for the Nets to suspend Kyrie Irving uh, was because their owner, Joseph Tsai, uh, he had wanted all along to try to work with Kyrie Irving, the American Defamation League, and to work together to try to educate him uh, on the impact of, of what he shared on his social media, uh, educate him about anti-Semitism uh, in this country. And in trying to do so, uh, Ramona Shelburne and I were told in our reporting that Kyrie Irving did not respond uh, to his outreach. He did not respond to the owner's text messages. And, and when they put out a statement earlier this week in conjunction with the ADL, you know, they had only really worked through Kyrie Irving's agent and putting that together. Shocking information there from Woj as he says Kyrie did not respond to the text messages from the owner. Now, I'll be very transparent with you guys. I text Woj and said, hey, how uncommon is that? Because I think there's understanding that we need to have on communication between owners and, and players. What's it look like? And Woj's response to that was incredibly rare. It is incredibly rare for a player, especially in this situation, to act that way. Now, that being said, I think the Nets approach was actually the right one. Hear me out. Taking time is something that quickly becomes offensive to everybody. Well, this wasn't done quickly enough. Why didn't they drop this person more uh, instantly? Why didn't they do this immediately within the next 24 hours? All of those are real questions. But when you think about what the approach was here, the approach was to try and sit down and talk to Kyrie about the very specific pain caused by the actions that he gave us and the consequence of the conversations that he was actually giving platform to. That, to me, makes a lot of sense. If you really want to help somebody, if you really want to reform somebody's way of thought, I'm not sure that you can just come in with the thunder of the gods, kick somebody off, trade them, cut them, any of those things, without making them so defensive they never want to listen. One thing that I am immensely proud of over the last couple of years in my life, especially since, let's say, 2019, is I've evolved my ability to have hard conversations with people. And it's not always the easiest to hear that something I said or something I did hurt somebody. It's not always easy to hear that something I said or something I did lacks context. I'll use Black Panther as a great example. I didn't really love the movie Black Panther. I'm going to be honest with you. I saw it and I was like, yeah, it's okay, but I don't understand the significance of it. And I said that to my good friend, L. Duncan. And L. Duncan immediately looked at me and she said, I love you, but you're a moron. And I'm going to explain to you the significance of it. And she did. And I listened. And when I heard her talk about what it means for her to be able to sit down with their children and say, hey, this is why this movie has impact to my family, it hit me. I didn't have the right perspective coming into it. Now, you learn from those. You learn from those moments. I don't fault the Nets' process of logic and saying, hey, the, the main course of action here, now, above and beyond what does it mean for the Nets and what's it mean for Kyrie, there's a real conversation about just the human being. 
what does it mean and how should we be approaching the human being in a way that makes him better? Because the goal isn't just to, to punish in these situations. The goal has to be some level of, hey, I want you to understand why we're doing this so that you don't do it again. Shouldn't that at some point be what we want for everybody in the process of, hey, I screwed up and now I, know what, I, I, I want to know how to be better. I want to know how to do better. If you don't surround yourself with people that challenge your, your thought process, what's the point? Now, Kyrie may not want to be challenged, and that's been very clear. But to take the, the, the process, and as the article points out, the Nets sat down and watched the full documentary. They tried to, to talk to Kyrie about the pain and hurt and the hate filled in that documentary. Wasn't willing to have that conversation. Now, I will always fault Kyrie for not being willing to have that conversation. I will not fault the Nets for trying to have it and for taking the time to have it in a way that he doesn't come in as defensive as he would if, if you simply punished him first. There's a process to all of this. And while we're busy looking and yelling at everybody saying, hey, I want you right now to do what I think is right. Sometimes, even when we know that maybe the action is absolutely awful, you have to look at the people involved in the punishment process and say, what's the goal? Is the goal simply to take away money from Kyrie? He'll make more. Is the goal to make Kyrie sit on the sidelines? They can demand a trade. Or is the goal to make sure that Kyrie understands? If you make sure you do everything possible within your power to ensure that Kyrie understands the power of his words, his actions, his tweets, and what it means to everybody that's impacted. That's the method they chose to take. I simply will not fault them for it because I think the method of the message actually from the Nets made sense. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. All right, we got a lot of football to get back to. And frankly, we're going to get the game of the year again for the second time in just a few weeks. The game of the year is this weekend in college football. We're going to bring in what I think is one of the smartest guests to break down how or if Tennessee can win. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It is a wild weekend across the landscape of football, especially for college football heads. And we got a lot of breakdown. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. You guys can call in 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. In about 15 minutes, we'll take some of your calls on. You got one. You got one thing. You can only watch one sporting event all weekend. What's it going to be? Why? And I mean, like, don't don't cheat me on this. Don't give me red zone. You got one thing you can watch. World Series. Is it going to be one of these college football games? Is it one of these NFL games? 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. We'll get some of your thoughts on that in a little bit. But... Tennessee's been in the zone all year. Get in the zone. Brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Trevor Maddich, always in the zone. He's a college football analyst. You can listen to him on Saturdays. Uh, and it, always, always glad to hang out with you, my friend. Yeah, you too, Fitz. I appreciate you having me on. You're talking about baseball. I, I so respect those guys because I could never do it. But I know that when you play football or basketball, if you get mad at the other guy, you can do stuff to that guy. In baseball, <laughs> you're not supposed to touch that guy, right? So you have to be mad at him, and then you have to, like, hit a little ball once every third inning, you know, oh and that's all you can do. That is amazing. Oh, I, I, that's going to be stuck in my head all weekend as I watch. And it's funny you talk about, Matt, I had the chance earlier to, today on one of my college football digital shows to talk to Jamal Lewis. And one of the things that Jamal kept talking about was how running backs in his era ran angry. And it was just such a, a defined part 
of what college football was. You got the rock and then you truck somebody, you know, and it's amazing now from Tennessee, we're seeing the opposite. This is a absolute, oh my God, juggernaut of, of super jets on the outside. When you look at Tennessee's offense, what has Josh Heupel been able to do that has gotten the other teams so confused? He uses speed off the ball to take advantage of momentary lapses in technique and small hesitations in recognition. So what he'll do, for example, he scored a, a Jalen Hyatt, Tennessee receiver, scored a, a vertical touchdown, scored five of them. But one of them against Alabama really shows this perfectly. It was a tempo play. So Tennessee ran a play, then went right back up to run the next one. Then pre-snap, there was motion. So the defense is getting the call. They're looking at the motion guy. Then after the snap, they had a, uh, a play fake in the backfield. So now, two deep defensive backs on the offensive left side. One of them's looking at the motion guy, trying to figure out what he's doing. The other one's looking into the backfield to see if that's going to be a handoff. And while that was happening, the receiver, Jalen Hyatt, was raging off the ball. I mean, didn't worry about the coverage, didn't read anything. He was raging off the ball. And there's a, there's a pause where both of those defenders were standing flat-footed as Hyatt was almost at full speed. And then they figured out, oh, no, there's a guy coming deep into our area. And by the time they restarted, Hyatt was already by him. So this is what they do. They use tempo, and they use pre-snap eye candy to make the defense just hesitate. And then one guy, at least one, is flying off the ball. And by the time they get locked back in on defense, they're already by him. Which is going to be a really interesting conversation when we start talking about some of these Vol superstars with the NFL draft and how all of this goes to the next level. But but on the other side of it, for, for Georgia, you have a defense that with all the turnover that they've had in personnel is better statistically in almost every single category. They haven't played a ton of great teams, but they're better in almost every one. The one that they're not better in is getting after the quarterback. Their sack numbers are down. How does Georgia get enough pressure on Hendon Hooker to actually disrupt the way he throws the football? Disrupt is the key there, Fitz, because they're not going to sack him, and I don't know that they'll really try to sack him as a first priority. The first priority is to keep him in the pocket. Don't let him scramble out. Don't let him run. So they'll compress the pocket rather than try to pierce the pocket and then let pressures and sacks come as they may. It's going to be harder because Nolan Smith is injured. Linebacker Torres Peck out for the season, their best edge rusher. Now, they've got good guys that will replace him. But remember that Tennessee feasts on momentary hesitations. Now you got guys thrust into higher roles than they're accustomed to. But what will help Georgia is that Jalen Carter is back on the defensive line. Jalen Carter, he'll be a top-five pick. Some people say he could be a top-two pick. He's just a beast. In the Oregon game, Oregon ran the ball right over right guard. Now, Oregon has one of the best offensive lines in the country. I think they've given up one sack all season. Jalen Carter clubbed the right guard of Oregon and literally knocked him to the side and to his knees and then made the tackle. And the fact that he's back and he's healthy, or relatively healthy, I think gives them the best chance to get the actual disruption into the pocket. I think it's the, the key to the game, too. Trevor Maddich hanging out with us, ESPN College Football Analyst, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz, uh, flying solo tonight, Sarah uh, off tonight. Uh, I'm curious, we've spent so much time obsessed about this matchup, rightfully so, that we're almost forgetting that there's an Alabama-LSU game, which, by the way, is on ESPN Radio. You want to listen to it. It's two top ten teams and an Alabama team that has had some issues against an LSU team that's playing much better right now. They are Alabama. Alabama's weird to me. I, I don't even know who they are anymore. Before the season, I thought, like many people, that this is a top two or three team. 
Then all of a sudden they're dropping passes like you mentioned, Fitz. They, they're committing penalties. They have mental mistakes. They don't run the ball that in a dominant fashion. And then they lost to Tennessee. The next week, oh, bless Mississippi State's heart to be the next <laughs> week. But Alabama blistered the Bulldogs in a way that was not like they kind of solved some of their problems. It was like they reset to what we expected them to be coming in. And so will Alabama be that team against LSU, or will it be a team still trying to solve problems like they were against Tennessee? The thing about – you talk about about LSU getting better, and this is really the key for LSU. Their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, early in the season couldn't hit the wall of a barn from the inside. He just couldn't. His receivers were frustrated. This is one of the best wide receiver groups in the country, and they were, they were, they were visibly angry with their quarterback. Somebody body snatched him and replaced him. I don't know who's wearing his uniform, but that guy got a lot better. And <laughs> the receivers are now engaged. The receivers are now having their talent show up in the games because he's able to get the ball to them better. Now, why? One is that he just has been getting better. Remember, he transferred in Jalen Daniels, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for LSU, transferred in from Arizona State. So this is all new to him. And, but the other thing is the coaches have figured out how to help him. And so they will scheme to make reads and throws easier for him. And he has not become Hendon Hooker. He hasn't become C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. But what he's able to do now is see where the ball's supposed to go based on look at these guys. This is the guy that's going to be open. Throw to that guy, right? And then get the ball close enough that the receiver can actually use his talent to make a play. And that's where LSU has their one clear, huge advantage over Alabama in the pass catchers. And if Daniels can engage those guys, that's where they have a chance to win this game. It's amazing you mentioned that because we've watched Alabama's defensive backfield be, let's say, handsy at times this year. Like they've been just sort of grabbing onto everything they possibly can because it's running by them. Because they're afraid. I mean, they actually played afraid against Tennessee. The more Jalen Hyatt got behind him for touchdown passes, the more space they gave him, and they looked to be afraid. That's why you grab. So let me ask you about one of the other big matchups we got. Uh, Clemson taking on Notre Dame. What does Clemson have to do in this game to sort of assert the concept that they are the fourth best team in the country? I think the only team that can beat Clemson in this game is Clemson. Notre Dame, you know, bless their hearts. They, they've been playing better. <laughs> it's too bless their know, hearts. Come I on. Know. And we're talking South Bend, Indiana. And if you've ever been there, that's the farthest <laughs> from the south you can possibly get. You can go to Maine, but I think I think South Bend is farther north, you know, ideologically, you know, it's farther north than Maine. It's just it's just not a bless your heart kind of place. But they're a bless your heart kind of team this year. And so the 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 thing that Notre Dame does well now is they're running the ball better. Their defense is has gotten better. They can do some things. They've got some NFL guys there. Their passing game is still anemic, except for their tight end Michael Mayer, who will be a first round draft choice. Clemson is just more balanced. Clemson is much better at stopping the run than Notre Dame. Clemson's secondary has gotten healthy, and they are better at defending the pass than Notre Dame's. And this is going to sound weird, Jason, but if I were to ask you, which quarterback do you trust more in a game, Clemson's DJ Uyunglele or the opponent's quarterback? It's a fair question. It's weird to say, oh, I trust DJU more than Drew Pine. Yeah. Of Notre Dame, and again, bless Drew Pine's heart. Sorry, but he—he's just—he just—he's inconsistent. He does some things well, some things not well. So what Clemson needs to do is stuff the run, and turn this into a quarterback duel. If I made you a member of the College Football Playoff Committee, who would you have had at the number four team in the country? The number four team in the country right now is Clemson. 
And the truth of it is I had Alabama in my power poll at number four. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah but that's just a power poll. Right. You know, it's also who you, who you beat and stuff like that. I think Michigan deserves to be there. TCU should be ahead of Clemson. TCU is at number seven right now. Clemson at number four. TCU has a similar resume as Clemson. Their defense is not very good, but Clemson's offense hasn't been dominant. And the one thing that TCU has over Clemson is they have one unit that is national championship class, and that's the Horn Frogs offense. Clemson doesn't have any unit that's that high in terms of, of what they're able to do. So I really think that TCU, from a power perspective, should be ahead of Clemson. You can listen to him tomorrow on game day. It's always great work with Matt Schick and with A.J. McCarron. Appreciate you hanging out with me, my friend. Thanks, Fitz. Uh, Trevor Maddish hanging out with his college football analyst. All right, we're going to get through a bunch of games, let you preview them and tell us why you're super excited while we do the same. We're going to let you pick the one game you absolutely – you can only watch one. There's only one game that you can watch this weekend. What's it going to be and why? Don't cheat me with Red Zone. Don't try to get smart or cute with it. You can only watch one game. What's it going to be? 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Bunch of guys have tweeted me on it too. We'll let you guys take over the show next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Gonna have a little fun. You guys can chime in. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. We're gonna have a little fun with you got one. So here's the premise. And, uh, you know, this started all the way back when I was on uh, the, the one of my first shows I did for ESPN Radio at 5 in the morning. Uh, and we used to sit down at 5 in the morning every Friday and ask, you got one. Like, if you can only watch one game this weekend, uh, you can't cheat. You can't multicast anything. You can't pick out a second TV. You can't red zone. I always have to qualify because you all don't like following the rules. Uh, what, what's the one thing you're going to watch, especially on a weekend like this? Because let's set the scene here. All right, if you listen to ESPN Radio, we just told you, that you're going to have Alabama-LSU coming on Saturday night. Like, that's a top-10 matchup, right? I mean, you want to have that. You've got the World Series coming at you, Game 6 and possibly Game 7, right? So you could have a Game 7 of the World Series, right? And then on top of that, you have a loaded prove-it weekend in the NFL with teams all over the place that are trying to assert their spot in the upper echelon. A, a Titans-Chiefs matchup that just – Feels like it's it's the opportunity for the Titans to prove that they belong in the same conversation as Kansas City and Buffalo. The Titans fan base over here saying, hey, you forget we were the number one seed last year. So, you know, a, a chance to go out with Derrick Henry, absolutely running the rock like a maniac. Oh, and then in the college football landscape on Saturday, you also got Tennessee, Georgia. It, it, it's tough. Now, look, I know bias comes into this. Am I re- If I could only watch one thing this weekend. By Jason Fitz. We'll turn this into an elementary school report. If I could only watch one thing this weekend, what would it be? Well, I, I would love to. T- y'all know my fandom. Like, hell, I've got the Raiders as part of my arm tattoo, right? I mean, you know it's there. The Raiders playing the Jags. Uh, and uh, I would love in this moment to tell you that I wouldn't try and sneak that somehow. Like, the Raiders are like a drug that I'm not supposed to have, but I still have to have it. Like, I'm hiding it in the cupboard or something. Like, I, I've got a problem. Uh, But even this weekend, I think that the Tennessee-Georgia matchup has so much on the line and there's so much pomp and circumstance to it. 
man, it's just going to be better. Like the vibe of it's going to be better than two bad football teams barely hanging on for relevance in the uh, AFC playoff battle. Don't hold it against me, Raiders fans. I don't remember the last time I didn't watch a game. But in this hypothetical exercise, I mean, I keep thinking back to the end of what we saw from Tennessee and Alabama. Uh, that, that, that was an all-time moment. Where were you when you watched it? You remember. You know. Oh, I can't miss an all-time moment. You got the number one team in the Associated Press poll taking on the number one team according to the college football playoff because they're not the same. Oh, you got the Battle of the Dogs, Ugga taking on Smokey. One's one's a little bit chunkier than the other, but the other seems like they might have a little bit of speed on them. I don't know. Like, Ugga Smokey seems like it'd be a battle for the ages, right? Smokey, a better name than Ugga? I don't think anybody can argue that. The, the, the fit's going to be better. For, uh, for the Vols than it is for Georgia. But there's so much to look at. it. Like, that's got to be my matchup. I'm going with that one. Nick, uh, all right, we're going to chime in with Nick here. Nick, a run of the board for us tonight. You got one matchup, and you're uh, qualified. Tell everybody who you're a fan of. I'm a diehard Giant fan, so I'm with you. If the Giants were on today, I would definitely, you know, lean into that, and i put them above all else. But like you said, Georgia, Tennessee is – it has so much on the line, but I'd like to counter with that. If you want to talk about on the line, how about a World Series trophy, potentially tomorrow or Sunday? So my official answer would be World Series Game 7. I mean, I'm getting dirty looks from Mike Yu behind the Mike Yu sitting back there shaking his head at me. Uh, earlier, he may have called me a moron or an idiot or something. I don't know. I can't read lips well, but it didn't seem like he was saying that I'm pretty and he likes my hair. I, I, you know, I get it. The World Series is a big deal. Like it's it's a champion. I can't believe that I'm sitting here saying I would take Tennessee Georgia over Game Set. Like the two, the most sacred words in sports. Game Seven. Mike, have, have I lost my mind? Nah. I mean that's fair. And Gail, a loyal listener and. Uh, just one of the nicest people on Twitter. Uh, Gail, you're amazing, by the way. Uh, you know, when people ask why I love doing radio, the honest answer to it is people like Gail. You know, it, you, you get to have this friendship with the people that, that tweet the show. Gail came in and said, game six and then seven if it happens. Doesn't work that way, Gail. You, you, you only get one, but I'll give it to you because you're the best. Of the World Series baseball, one of the two best sports, in my opinion. I don't like either team, but World Series for the win. Uh, I've gotten a lot of tweets, by the way. Uh, Jeff came in and said Syracuse versus Pitt. All right. You obviously went to one of those two schools. That's the only answer. Uh, I, I love Jim's answer. Said one game. I'm watching high school playoff football level three in Wisconsin. I don't know. Diddly, you know what about level three in Wisconsin. But I'll tell you this, Jim. I hope whoever you want to win wins that game because that is too good uh, not to uh, not to watch. Uh, and then the least surprising answer came from Carolina Cat Max. It said the Carolina Panthers game. I, I never would have guessed. I, it just who who would have guessed? A lot of answers for Tennessee, Georgia. Obviously, uh, Gammy Laurie said uh, Sunday night football for the Chiefs. Uh, I want to listen to them call the game as Mahomes leads the team to victory over the Titans. I mean, there's just. Uh, Stephanie said, it's easy, even though the game will get out of hand. Michigan at Rutgers. Man, if you got one and you're picking Michigan over Rutgers, you have got to be a fan. Harry, uh, a little known fact for Harry, Harry played football in Illinois. So are you obligated because of your background to pick Illinois? If it was a what I anticipate to be a good game, then I 100% would. But Michigan State looks like a dumpster fire this year. We are favored by 16 points. If I can only choose one game, Eagles played earlier in the week. I think Illinois takes care of business. I think one versus three is – it kind of feels like it's going to be a letdown. I'm going to go – I want to see what LSU 
does against a real team against Alabama. I, that's an interesting match. I mean, Trevor Maddich was just talking to us about it. If you missed it, go check it out in the podcast. Uh, uh, there is some real interest in this to me. I mean, LSU is a team we were ready to just leave out for dead a month into the season, and just, everybody was convinced that this thing was falling apart. And we forget it takes players and coaches a minute to get to know each other. Like, as much as we sit there and say, oh, well, this player's got to play well in a new system – Coaches also got to figure out what makes the personality of different players tick. So I think it took LSU a second to get it rolling. But, man, LSU taking on Alabama, that matchup always means something. And as bad at times as Alabama's defensive secondary is, like their corners have been just bad. And so if LSU does that to them, oh, that could get out of hand. Uh, Jeff on Twitter said the Breeders' Cup, only championship that matters and great action for hours. That is an interesting take. I won't even call it a hot take. That's just an interesting take. Uh, several people in my mentions about the Raiders, which only speaks to, you know, the, the exercise here in futility, as I know how many of us uh, absolutely, if you're like me and you're a Raiders fan, uh, you, you want to watch every second of it. But I also like Tracy's answer. Tracy said Monday night football. And, and for anyone that hasn't looked at the Monday night football schedule, we got Ravens Saints. You want to talk about a game right now with two teams that just need to put together four quarters. The Saints won against the Raiders. Let's see what that means moving forward. I'm genuinely interested. Like, I can't believe most teams will forget that Alvin Kamara plays football. So I feel like it's not going to be as easy. But the Ravens' ability to come out and win it becomes important. They're 5-3. Five 5-3. And, three. Five and, three. and at this point, if you haven't looked at the numbers, only 12 teams in the NFL today have a winning record. 12 out of 32 teams have a winning record. I heard Bart uh, and Han earlier today when Han was saying nobody's out of it. I'd also argue nobody's in it yet. So uh, there's a lot left to come, and that's what's going to make it amazing. Coming up, two preseason Super Bowl favorites will square off Sunday in what might be an elimination game. I'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.